Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's Oil Analysts, and we're going to take you through what's happening in energy in the Western Hemisphere. So, Jim, let's start with Canada this week. What you got for us? So let's start on the east side of Canada. The oil production on the east side of Canada, there's four principal grades, Hebron, Hibernia, Terra Nova, and White Rose. These are heavy, low sulfur to mid-sulfur grade, uh, crude grades. In the first three months of 2020, these four grades produced about 115,000 barrels a day. The Canada Energy Regulator is saying that production is down about 100,000 barrels a day. I don't have the exact numbers, but most of that is going to be the Terra Nova production, which is completely down, and I suspect that that's about 80,000 a day. So the pandemic has affected three big projects on the east side of Canada. The White Rose expansion was temporarily halted, but now is up and running, albeit a few few months behind schedule. The Terra Nova extension has been completely shut down. And this was an asset life extension project. Basically, what they were going to do is retrofit the FPSO for another 10 years of usage. That's completely shut down. And the next big thing in the production of oil in eastern Canada was the Bay du Nord production. Um, That's on hold for at least 2020 and could be as long as uh, the end of 2021. We'll see about that. So going to the west side of Canada, as many of you know, most of the grades on this side are a heavy, high sulfur uh, production. They do have some lighter streams, 35, 38 API, 0.5, 0.75 sulfur kind of stuff, but most of it's a heavy sulfur. In the first three months of 2020, they produced 4.5, 4.5 million barrels a day. So Sonia Savage is the Minister of Energy for Alberta, and she says the production's down about a million a day. Now, all the upgraders are up and running, albeit at derated levels. Even the Scott Ford upgrader that had a fire April 15th, that is up and running, um, albeit a little derated. Okay. Okay. So, um, so what's happening with U.S. production? So starting with Alaska, um, as we all know, Alaska has been on a slow, steady decline, uh, but it has been stable for the last four to five years, somewhere in the range of 425,000 barrels a day to 500,000 barrels a day. And now certainly with the pandemic and the sale, uh, BP's sale of their assets to Hillcorp, it's definitely on the lower end of that range. But I will say I'm pretty bullish on the future of Alaska production. Uh, for those that don't know Hill Corp, it's a private company. They're very quiet. They're not going to make headlines, but they will quietly work their magic uh, as they have in Wyoming, Colorado on these mature uh, production fields and very likely have this up around seven or 800,000 barrels a day. Moving to the main 48, uh, Bakken production is down from 1.47 million barrels a day to right around 1.1 million barrels a day. Um, as per Lynn Helms, North Dakota State Mineral Resource Director. So Bakken got hit pretty hard in April with a low print of under $4 a barrel. 
but has recovered nicely and now is trading about $1.60 a barrel under WTI Houston, which is a very stout differential. Oklahoma is down about 170,000 barrels a day of production. They're right around 440,000 barrels a day from a peak of 613,000 barrels a day in April of 2019. Permian is down to about 4.3 million barrels a day from a high of 4.8 million barrels a day. One thing to remember about that is that the Permian Basin extends into New Mexico. The New Mexico uh, version of Permian is actually increasing their production. They're well over a million and continue to inch higher, which means all of the decline is coming from the Texas side of the Permian Basin. Colorado is down to about 435,000 barrels a day from a high of 563 barrels a day in November of 19. Now, this production is particularly susceptible to insolvency from the debt fuel growth that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Also, uh, in Colorado, there's a Senate bill in their state uh, legislature, Senate Bill 181, that's setting new oil and gas regulations for Colorado. So that will definitely be something to watch. And finally, with Eagleford here in Texas, uh, it's down to about 1.1 million barrels a day. The peak in Eagleford actually happened in 2015 at 1.7 million barrels a day. The peak in 2019 was 1.4 million barrels a day. However, look for this grade to ramp up faster than some of the others if the gasoline continues to lead the product demand recovery. All right, great info there. So you've taken us down here to the Eagle Ford. Uh, what's going on across the border? I understand Mexico is in somewhat of a unique position. They are in a very unique position. So we've documented the oppressive debt levels that Mexico and Pemex have. Um, as many of you know, they refused to um, the 400,000 barrel a day production cut from the OPEC plus partnership that they're in. The reality is that the 100,000 barrel a day cut that they agreed to was probably going to happen naturally anyway. The really unique position is it looks like the world is going to give Mexico a free pass on this volume. So expect President Obrador will continue to press hard to get Pemex back to 1.9 million barrels a day of production. Pemex has worked really hard to get their production costs down to about 14.20 a barrel. And some of their condensate production is down around $4.80 a barrel. So look for President Obrador to also keep his foot on the gas for the Zama production. This is a relatively new discovery, and it's offshore, and more specifically, it's offshore of his home state of Tabasco. So first oil is expected sometime in 2023, but I suspect President Obrador will push hard to move that uh move that date up. The initial evaluation of this oil is it's a 30 API and about a 1.7 sulfur crude, 1.8 billion barrels in this reservoir. And if that is the case, that that when they get into production, if it is a 30 API and a 1.5 to 1.7 sulfur, that will completely change the complexion of Mexican oil production. So, Corey, there's always something going on in Venezuela. What's happening this week? You know, so many stories. I mean, 
We could talk about how the U.S. is preparing a criminal indictment against Maduro's wife, uh, Celia Flores, but I mean, I guess we'll just stick with oil. Um, coronavirus and uh, U.S. sanctions are really beginning to take a toll on Venezuelan crude exports. After falling over 30% year over year to just over 1 million barrels per day in 2019, um, exports there just keep probing lower. You know, And where the Jose terminal historically shouldered about 75% of the export burden, I mean, recent data show that as total exports have fallen, Jose is responsible for a greater proportion going out. You know, not having as many homes for its exports has also caused an inventory situation in the country. I mean, domestic crude storage is up over 38 million barrels, but remain below the 40.3 million uh, barrels achieved late last year. Uh, however, this buildup of inventory has began to weigh on blending facilities and production. I mean, for example, Upstream Petropriar, which had been producing nearly 125,000 barrels per day earlier this year, is now producing at around half those levels. And hey, um, remember a couple of weeks ago when I brought up the five tankers we saw an icon heading to Venezuela from Iran, laden with gasoline? When I was preparing for this podcast, those were in varying stages of voyage and unloading, and the Venezuelan government was developing a short and detailed plan to distribute the fuel and to raise prices which have been frozen as the world's cheapest for something like 20 years. I mean, basically they, they get gasoline there for free. Um, anyway, but despite both Venezuela and Iran being under U.S. sanctions, the tankers have been unimpended in their voyages. But you made an internal comment the other day that I agree with. If jet fuel cargoes start making their way to Venezuela from Iran or Russia, then there will likely be a very different response coming from the U.S. government. Yeah, no doubt about that. So Guyana production looks to be pretty resilient. What's going on there? Uh, yeah. So the last few weeks I've mentioned that the new for 2020 lies of production coming from offshore Guyana wasn't going to stop ramping up because of the coronavirus. Um, and the plan is still to achieve 120,000 barrels per day by next month. Now, if we look at Icon Flows data, just over 93,500 barrels per day were exported in April with nearly equal volumes going to China and Panama, and the remaining million barrels exported making its way to the U.S. Gulf Coast. We discussed this before, how those volumes can easily be re-exported from Panama and end up on the, on the U.S. West Coast. Looking at May, however, uh, shows a bit of a pullback, with only about 80,000 barrels per day departing the FPSO. But again, the platform, I mean, it has 1.6 million barrels of storage, so no real concern of needing to slow production there. If we look at crude pricing for the first quarter of 2020, Guyana received 4.9 million in royalty payments, putting Lysa production or pricing in January at 61.87 per barrel, February at 54.35, and March at 36.79. Now, for comparison's sake, uh, Brent spot averaged 63.65 in January, 55.66 in February, and 32.01 in March. So we'll just have to see how this pricing relationship continues to play out. Yeah, that'll be definitely something to watch. So I understand you have something on Columbia this week. Absolutely, and interesting stuff. Uh, if you'll recall in the first of these podcasts that we did, I talked at some length about Echo Patrol's production cuts and revised plans for 2020. If any of you want that info but don't want to listen to this audio to find it, by all means, reach out and I'll give you the summary. But even with production cuts, the slowing of global economic activity, and dengue fever concerns, Colombia has fared pretty well as far as crude exports go. In January and February, before this thing really started to take hold, Colombia exported mid 500,000 barrels per day in each month. 
In March, however, the country exported just over 681,000 barrels per day. Now, this exceeded every monthly total um, 2019, but for January, which was close, and June, which saw exports reach over 760,000 barrels per day. On average, Echo Patrol, after revisions, expected for production to be about 650,000 barrels per day in 2020. And I suppose part of the uptick in exports in March is attributed to refining run cuts. Now, you know, moving over to refining, just real quick here. So Columbia has four refineries, but really two, only two of her note. Uh, they account for nearly all the country's capacity. Cartagena at 165,000 barrels per day, and Barracambar Meja at 250,000 barrels per day. With a sudden demand loss, Echo Patrol cut rates at both facilities by half. Though I understand that, rec that recently both facilities will start to ramp back up again. Anyway, back to crude. So, uh, Columbia's exports for some time have averaged about 50% uh, Vascona. And Vascona, like much of which comes from Latin America, is a heavy sour, though less sour than other heavy South American grades, and is priced relative to Brent. As of my preparation, the spread was, was about $2 under. Uh, second is Cano Limon. Some three weeks ago, the Cano Limon Covenas uh, pipeline was attacked, which represented the 25th attack on Colombia's pipelines thus far in 2020. Uh, nevertheless, about a third of what Colombia has exported each month over the last year has been Cano Limon crude, and the rest has been Castilla blend. As I look at the data, I don't readily see any reason for this particular mix of exports to change. So Jim, what do we have lined up for next week? So as we continue to see these uneven responses to this pandemic, trusted and timely information and data is becoming that much more critical. Next week, Corey and I will explore the imports and exports of crude oil from the Americas. All right, that's it for us today. As always, please feel to reach out to either one of us at any time. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.